This will go, uh, I've been putting them into a YouTube link, but for the most part, I'll send them out in the Substack, which is for me, it'll get a few hundred views. Uh, the YouTube, not so much, but the YouTube link makes it easy for people to access. Um, but for the most part, before we dive into talking points, uh, welcome to Mind of a Lion, Dingo. Happy to have you, you on. And uh, for those who will be listening, uh, you have a Substack at the bottom, bowtiedingo.substack.com. High level. So it mentions you know, B2B and SaaS sales. Where are you looking to take that Substack long term? Six months out? 12 months out. Absolutely. So, yeah, it dives at the moment into sort of the SDR business development role, which is cold calling uh, appointment setting. I plan on sort of building it out to a bit more of a uh, general thing to also show the account executive role. So actually doing demos, closing deals within SaaS sales. And then I've also done a a fair bit of... uh, online businesses selling software or products. So I plan on, and I've mentioned this once or twice in the Substack, but I haven't released it yet, uh, a series on actually building something out, sharing as much detail as I can without uh, without doxing myself to show right. sort of <laughs> some of the <laughs> newer people in the jungle. Um, some of this stuff really isn't as hard as we're, we're led to believe. You really can just make money reasonably quickly. I, um, I saw a, uh, another animal in the jungle, Bowtie Hog, posted something about doing um, white-label SaaS. Uh, so someone else builds the product, you just slap your branding on it, market it, and sell it. And I thought, okay, that's a reasonable idea for this. I'm getting 70 American uh, monthly recurring revenue from about a thousand emails sent with no follow-up at all on a, a pretty cheap product. So it can right. be easy. So those are the things I plan on doing. I guess I haven't even thought about that white labeling <clears throat> or private labeling, not econ products, but a digital high margin recurring revenue uh, says that's, uh, that's interesting. What would that look like, uh, like a, an example in caveman speak, a high level? What would be an example of that? Yeah, so it would be along the lines of, let's say, let's say there are CRMs out there, because I've noticed a couple of white label CRMs when I was sort of just looking into it briefly. What you do is sign up with that company. They'd have some sort of partnership uh, program. Usually the companies have a landing page builder or you can just forward it to your own one with some sort of web builder that you use yourself or if you're good at coding, just upload it to a, a web hosting server and create your own website. And they would handle sort of all of the tech side, usually some uh, custom support, customer service, or you can run that yourself. All you'd need to do is create a landing page, your branding, um, marketing material, things like that. Forward all of their, uh, sorry, forward your DNS to to connect with their services. Um, probably sign up for something like Stripe or PayPal, some sort of pay- payment processor. Right. And then you sell that service. So you'd need to use the product yourself, figure out how it works, be prepared to answer any questions. But it's 
reasonably simple on the the on the macro level it's a reasonably simple idea with quite a bit of earning potential so in that in that white labeling SaaS products you're focusing on automating or streamlining the lead generation process prospecting and providing qualified leads for whatever company is selling the actual SaaS product yeah absolutely so they maintain all of the SaaS, um, the actual technology side, but even when your customers log in, they still only see your logo. They're still on your domain. Uh, they don't see that underlying company that is doing the dev. Um, so it's, it's actually pretty interesting. And that is the main idea, automating outreach, automating lead gen, figuring out the, the best way to have it growing without needing a, uh, day to day involvement or a lot of uh, time suck. Right. That ties into, uh, of course, listeners, uh, SAS Capo, his pinned tweet at the top of his, his profile. He goes through a thread on how to build, well, it's really doing both ends, finding startup SAS companies and automating lead generation uh, booking appointments, that BDR role, if you will, SDR role for these companies and getting to the point where your focus is actually on finding clients, finding new SaaS startups who will pay you for each booked call, if you will. Um, so it kind of sounds like you and SaaS Capo are nibbling away at the same idea or concept from uh, different approaches. I think so. And having read his, uh, his pinned tweet, there's quite a bit of gold in there. I do recommend anyone who who hasn't looked at that to to do so? Whether the whether lead gen agency that he's uh, suggesting is he or not, that idea of how to do lead gen automated or semi automated is definitely a worth worth reading about. And tying in with Bowtie Bull, it's it fits the the matrix in SaaS software as a service. As for listeners, higher margin and reoccurring revenue. So like real estate, as an example, would be maybe higher volume, a higher margin, but it's not necessarily reoccurring while selling, say, magnesium supplements might be reoccurring, but it's not so high margin. Exactly, it sort of walks the line in between them that I think is exactly what you need to if you want to maximize your time and money. Uh, I think that's why Bull has written about it reasonably extensively and continually promotes it because it is a, a good way to get rich, really. Absolutely. Percentage of equity. So tying into sales, the concept of, of course, Bull and many in general talk sales, they talk equity, ownership, entrepreneurship. And I think a big draw for younger guys, especially coming out of school is sales is that percentage of revenue you're paid for performance right you sell 100k in revenue you sell a million 10 million you make more you're not capped what is it that drove or really how did you end up in uh SaaS sales to go without getting too specific or mentioning your company uh, what was that rough path yeah absolutely so i what can i say i did uh computer science in university actually but uh, as reasonably okay as I am at the computer science side, I can't 
compete with the top 10% in that field. Um, it's just not within me. And Bull does continue to write about being the top percentage in your field or whatever niche you're in, because then that's really where any money or success is. So I started looking at what I can do instead that can um, uh, allow me to continually leverage those skills, but without being in direct competition with the super geniuses I was actually running into in that field. Um, so it was uh, data science that I majored in. Okay. Um, from there, I sort of took a an in-between job, which wasn't intentionally an in-between job. It was uh, sales within finance, um, but it ended up sort of... Not bad. Yeah, I, I, I can't really complain about it, but what I did find was there was a lot of red tape and restriction about when I can do things, what I can do. Um, it was a very corporate life, as you can imagine, uh, right. which is not the worst thing ever, but it didn't give me any free time to explore other things or even the opportunity to uh, improve the way I did things internally at the company. So it was very inefficient as well. Um, I ended up looking externally. I was It was fortuitous that I'd been considering uh, B2B like SaaS sales for a while, but there was a mix of seeing a, a post on uh, Wall Street Playboys at the time, Bowtie Bull, about SaaS sales. Um, I think it was guest post, actually. I'm not sure who wrote that. Uh, as well as sort of efficiency mentioning the career path. It gave me sort of that jolt of, okay, I should probably uh, start looking into it seriously instead of just this thought in the back of my mind. Um, jumped on LinkedIn, already had a resume good to go, started applying randomly and Look got a... LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn is something for the past like five years I've used every day and it has made me a lot of money. I appreciate that company. Um, yeah, went through an interview process. It was actually the first uh, first company I, I interviewed with ended up being the winner. Um, really smooth process. So did an SDR job for about a year and a half, a bit longer than I would have liked to, but I've, I've heard worse. Right. Did, uh, did a random marketing role in the middle just because it seemed like... Um, something that was interesting because I wanted to learn more about that side of the business and then jumped into the, the AE role straight from that. So it was, uh, I, I got, uh, sorry, figuring out what's best to share. I've worked primarily in the MarTech space, so marketing technology. So you started to more focus or specialize in <clears throat> some copywriting and also that more optimizing prospecting, optimizing lead generation, getting someone from, let's say the Twitter analogy, impression to a click on the profile. Absolutely. So we use sort of um, internal sales engagement tools. Um, there are things out there. It's not the one I use, but things like Outreach.io and SalesLoft. I've linked to both of them in my most recent Substack on their emails. But they track uh, everything. They track open rates. They track 
click rates, reply rates. Um, so you can sort of A-B test your day-to-day -day outreach. And so my, uh, my week, I'm constantly looking at, okay, how is this follow-up doing compared to others? Are people replying to me? Am I closing more deals that way? Are more prospects uh, coming back to me in, sorry, excuse me, coming back to me in cold outreach? And so the longer you do this, if you just look at those stats, you can optimize reasonably well. And from that point, your, your sales targets are predictable. You can forecast more effectively and you know what you're going to make even in commission. Right. Backwards analysis from the close all the way back to the, oh, if I reach out to this number of leads and qualify X, I get to Y, meetings and so on. It's, it's, and I, I've had more I think, limited experience than you in B2B SaaS and it's, so far, it's it's metrics, especially in that that prospecting role. It's it's sales is heavy metrics, for better or worse. Absolutely, something my managers all the way through my career have said is sales is a numbers game, which it really is. You can have bad outreach, and you can do a lot of uh, a lot of connections, or you can have good outreach and only do a medium number of connections. You're going to get the the same outcome so finding that line in the middle but it's it's all understanding the metrics and playing to it finding that balance between quantity and quality that's right so you've gone remote as we were discussing offline uh, mm -hmm. in australia like many myself and many of us post-covid how is how is let's say the game changed a little bit or been modified because not only you are remote, but many of your target audience or clients are also in a more remote centric environment. Yeah, absolutely. So the, my, my day to day is not too affected because I was working sort of, I don't do any outside sales. It's always been over phone and Zoom. But the way I connect with people is definitely different with nobody in the office, even if I do get through to a, uh, a gatekeeper, someone's reception, someone else at the company asks to be passed through. Quite often, um, people just aren't there or don't have uh, numbers that can be transferred to. So I've definitely... It, it's sort of a threefold approach. I'm getting a lot less direct numbers or, well, less numbers that I can get transferred to people. So heavier uh, emailing, heavier social selling, LinkedIn outreach, things like that, um, as well as sort of relying a bit more on uh, tools like Zoom Info or Lucia, which are tools that give you um, direct phone numbers to people as well as emails and things like that. But they sort of connect to a number of public databases. At some point, someone's clicked, yes, I agree to these terms and service without ever reading them. And in it, they get permission to share that with a database. Um, so I've, I've had quite a bit of success just directly calling people with numbers that aren't really public, um, which is still somehow GDPR compliant, but I haven't looked into the legality <laughs> of that. <laughs> and ask for forgiveness and permission sometimes. Absolutely. There's a, it's a fun conversation when people ask how you got my number. It's always, uh, <laughs> right. 
it's always a decision between, oh, I found it on my CRM. I'm not sure how it got here. Or, well, actually, we have a tool that connects with public databases. Um, had some weird conversations building off from that. You mentioned uh, your, your data science background, computer science, and that you know top 10%, let's say top 1%, uh, those guys in that comp side programming background, when you say you can't keep up with them, what's what does that look like? I'm trying to get a picture in my mind. Is it some guy straight on Adderall? He's programming 12 hours a day, and he's just like, it's just so fast, and you just can't so much momentum that that's not something. I think that's definitely part of it. Um, it it's a big, at least where I am from, it is big part of the culture of overworking yourself to that point where you're pumping out so much that even if I had the same, let's say, level of processing power, I couldn't keep up with the amount of work. But for me, it was just, I'm looking at these guys who are faced with a problem that needs to be solved, and their brains are working a million miles an hour, um, and just solve an issue that's going to take me sort of a week of analysis to figure out how to approach it. Uh, and they're just like, okay, we do it this way, jump on the computer, write a few lines of code, and it's fixed immediately. And I just realized sort of, I think Bull keeps uh, saying, don't bet against geniuses. Those are, <laughs> those are the people I was seeing and my brain, I don't feel like I'm a, a slouch in that area, but I'm, yeah, I'm not a genius by any sense. <laughs> And anyone who is a genius probably isn't calling themselves a genius. No, probably not. <laughs> Are you familiar with the uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect? Uh, I'm not. Uh, what's the Dunning-Kruger effect? So, named after these two whatever scientists who, I want to say discovered it, but they put the math behind it, is when you plot a chart of competence versus confidence, in other words, knowledge versus courage or ego, you find it creates a cup and handle shape. So initially you learn a little bit and all of a sudden you get real confident. You think you think you got it figured out. And then as you really, really learn more, you realize how much you don't know. And your confidence creates that cup shape and starts coming back down. So those who know the least are actually usually the most confident. And those who know a lot are... Uh, a lot more humble and, and wary of what is it that I don't know that could get me into trouble. Uh, and, and this, and this applies, this is, they found this in not only sales, uh, aviation, uh, engineering, any, any domain, any subject it's uh, confidence versus confidence. It's a cup and handle shape, uh, which is a whole nother tangent, but uh, definitely would pull up a graph if I could uh, in, this, in this format. That is fascinating. And it definitely, definitely agrees with something I felt like I've known intuitively um, and seen a few times in in my life over and over again so that's something I'm definitely gonna look up after we after we jump off here of course now that I'm saying it maybe I have to pump out a thread because like polyphasic sleep or whatever something interests me I'm like hey let me go I know all right I know 7 80 percent let me go research and find the last 20 and kind of share with the jungle, see what happens. Uh, I'm curious is, so you mentioned that those top performers in comp sci, you pivoted to, to, to B2B sales, a little bit of marketing. 
Uh, are you familiar with Scott Adams or the Dilbert comics? Uh, vaguely, yeah. I, I read the, the, con- the comics growing up, and I've seen him pop up occasionally. Cool. So Bowles mentioned, he didn't name drop Scott Adams, but he's mentioned, you know, being a top 20% of three to four domains. So that's referring to Scott Adams popularized this term called talent stack. Talent, talent stack, stack is talent stack. It's where you take two, three domains that you have skill in where you're, you're not the top 1% in any of them, but you're the top 20% in three domains and you combine them and the synergy of your talent stack creates a unique value proposition, specific knowledge uh, that you have and you can offer that others don't. So in the case of Scott Adams, he's not the best comic strip cartoonist. He's top 20%. He's not the best in business, finance, econ background, but he's top 20%. He's not the best in satire and sarcasm in written comedy, but he's top 20%. And he combines those three domains to create the Dilbert comic strip, which is a unique uh, value proposition, uh, talent stack. That is interesting. It, it makes a, a lot of sense. It's interesting that it's coming from a uh, cartoonist as well. I love that. Right, right. That's uh, <laughs> a polymath. So it kind of sounds like you're almost dabbling at that without you know, someone putting a label on it like Scott Adams, but you're taking your, your programming comp side background, marketing sales, and, and maybe some copywriting, and, and almost like you're trying to put the pieces together and make a unique uh, niche for yourself. In a way, yeah. It's, um, I guess it's in the dark blind stumbling towards towards what uh, Scott Adams has, has theorized. I'm taking sort of my data science background and the, the little bit of marketing work I've done to figure out the best ways of outreach, continually improve and progress to get higher close rates, higher booking rates, things like that. Um, not just looking at my own things, but I've gotten access to the data across all of the reps at my company so I can pull the, the data in from that and work with them. And so I can see what's working, what's not, go into larger data sets from the internet. Um, quite, quite a lot of sales data has been published. Um, so it, it's a good field to, to look at and sort of just improve in that aspect. But then you can also flip it on its head. And if you're starting your own business, that marketing side might be predominant, but the sales and uh, data side are going to support it quite heavily as well. So yeah, I think in a, a less formal, maybe less efficient way, I've been stumbling at the same direction. Maybe it gives me uh, another thing to think about consciously as I'm moving forwards now. Something to keep in the back of the mind. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, uh, kind of pivoting here, how did you end up in the jungle? Uh, and also Bitcoin, but at least we'll start with, you know, how did you find Wall Street Playboys, Bowtie Bull? How did you get into this rabbit hole? Uh, yeah. Uh, back in university, um, I had a, a flatmate who... Hold up, hold uh, up. Translation for uh, Americans, Canadians listening. That's college and that's roommate, right? 
yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the uh, the translation from Australian speak. Um, <laughs> yeah, so back in college, I had a roommate who uh, I go along with reasonably well. Um, we that was you know back late late teenagers early adulthood where i'm getting into things like game and approaching women trying to figure out uh social aspects of my life because that's what's important back then uh at least to the to the average person i'd say (laughs) exactly um and so i spoke with him a lot about that dumping it jumping into those sort of topics and back then, Bull did have uh, some some uh, posts on the the blog about that. And my my roommate recommended reading uh, reading through Wall Street Playboys. So I read that. I read a bit more further into his finance, well, their finance articles, their um, just their general life advice the way they broke it down really fit well with the the way I like to structure my life. I like to think in the same sort of systems that they write in. And so I've just sort of followed it over the years from there. But uh, I think I think that roommate has made me a lot of uh, money over the years by introducing me, introducing me to Bowtie Bull. Um, <laughs> and then Bowtie Bull to, took, took care of the rest. Exactly. But to, to answer the second part of the question about how I got into Bitcoin, it's a little bit more of a sad, sad story, but also a, a story where I pay back that roommate with, uh, with a lot more money. I actually learned about Bitcoin because I've been a, a computer nerd for most of my life. Right. Really, really early. Like I was might be sharing too much here people can probably figure out my age but i was still living at home with parents when i discovered bitcoin it was worth about 50 cents per bitcoin uh (laughs) and i didn't even have a debit card like i couldn't buy it so there's this this little kid going to his parents like hey there's this internet investment money that's worth 50 cents can i pump a hundred dollars into it because that was my life savings at that point (laughs) um and the worst part is they said yes they said yes kid put a hundred dollars into internet money that's worth 50 cents each get 200 of them you know what i didn't do it i was fucking lazy and i'm um Sometimes it's hard to stop thinking about that. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but from there, I followed it over the years. I've definitely jumped into it. Uh, uh, maybe not when Bitcoin was 50 cents, but definitely not where it is now. So I've made some money from there and introduced uh, that same that same roommate to Bitcoin. And we both started investing in it during during college so it's been a a fun ride but damn if i don't regret not just just going for it i it was sitting right in front of me (laughs) right right i think a lot of a lot of guys have that in whatever point in time they discovered bitcoin there was a period of time from learning about bitcoin to being fully 
their mind being fully invested in the protocol in the the fundamental change when you have a separation of money and state where they're like okay this is internet money to months or years later oh i need to i need to go all in absolutely um like back then i was a lot more political as sort of teenagers are um and all people at some point are um but you know i was going through that rebellious part of life where i was really into uh what was it anarcho-capitalist ideas the idea of personal freedom and capitalism uh and so the the online community at that point jumped onto bitcoin very early uh and was talking about the the idea of decentralized money and how it'll help the world so it was definitely setting me up for the for transitioning to this decentralized way of living which i i appreciate even if i'm not as political anymore sovereign individuals fix, fix exactly the money, fix the world freedom of money freedom of speech that's right how is your and i don't think you need to give a specific year but from the point at which at least most of your net worth you went all in bitcoin crypto however long ago that was how has your mindset changed since then if at all your perspective riding that roller coaster yeah definitely it's um the majority of net worth it's been a a little while not as long as i wish it was but at the beginning it was purely this is a great investment i was sold on the protocol the concept of decentralized economies um defi maybe not defi by those terms back then but that concept i was sold in so i just started putting all of my my new earnings into crypto for a while there um but it was more to convert back to fiat currency um and oh, okay. and i did do that quite a, a bit but as time has progressed i've done that less and less to completely stopping um because there's just no reason to bring it back at this point when i'm self sufficient with fiat currency without needing that and i'm losing a lot of uh potential by bringing it back um Cash at some point exactly um at some point i think i realized what bill a uh, bill bull has been saying which is if you uh if you're defining your net worth based on fiat currency and you're investing in crypto to convert it back you're missing the point uh so it's yeah it's been i'd say it's been about a year and a bit that i've been going all in without the intention to bring it back at any point so maybe the you know post covid cute quantitative easing to infinity of the central <laughs> banks has kind of solidified that idea of not going back to fiat I think it has definitely. Absolutely. That's been a big part of it. Yeah, now, now I haven't been around uh whew, yeah, when 
Bitcoin was 50 cents. Was I, was I still winning the bet? No, I wasn't that young. But uh, <laughs> I was around in, in all in with what I did have in the 2017 run. And at that time, I was like, oh, mostly XRP, XLM. I'm like, so I, I was using Bitcoin um, as a medium exchange to buy and sell. I won't get specific, but I think you know where I'm going with that. And yeah. my, my profits, I would, in Bitcoin, I would convert to altcoins because I'm like, oh, these are cheaper transactions. They're faster. And also it, it seemed 2017, it was the general mindset of you're going to buy Bitcoin to then sell for a profit in fiat. In other words, it's simply a speculative investment to gain more dollars or Australian dollars. But now it seems a lot more people are onto the uh, idea of, no, Bitcoin is not an offensive strategy. You're not driven by greed as much as you're driven by fear, fear of fiat. You're buying Bitcoin to exit fiat. You're not buying Bitcoin to make more fiat in the long run. Absolutely. And I think fear is the, the biggest uh, motivating driver in, in human psychology. Maybe I'm wrong yes. there, but yeah. Insecurity, uh, pain. Exactly. Um, fun story, actually, just on a, on a tangent. I, again, without going into specifics, I also at some point was doing what you were doing, buying and selling. Um, but I was using at that point Bitcoin as a, as a means of making money, but also as a means of connecting with people in a way. So this was this concept that I had discovered. I was young. Um, I was sort of making money from it. And I was trying to get more people involved because in, in, at some level, I believed in the, the protocol and what it means for society. Uh, maybe not as eloquently as I could put it today, but on some level. And so I was trying to convince people, hey, put some money into this. Um, and so I got a couple of people into it, but I was going through old emails trying to find something uh, from years ago in my sent folder uh, the other day, and I found something else that's painful. I just found an email to one of my, one of my friends from back then, sent the money for dinner, should find $100 in BTC in your wallet. And that was uh, the most expensive dinner I've ever purchased as well. Right. <laughs> uh, puts in perspective the, well, we, of course, we know the time value of money, mm. but also the money value of time. It's like, wow, $100 I spent today on a steak dinner could be $1,000 a couple years from now or ten grand five years from now. Exactly. And it puts into perspective the, the difference between inflation and what the dollar would be worth in a couple of years versus uh, Bitcoin and what it can be worth in a couple of years. Why, why it's not, a, like you put it, an offensive strategy, but a defensive strategy. Defensive strategy. Have you seen anything like the Bowtie jungle community before, either offline or online? No, I've seen online communities as you'd expect and in a way it in a way it brings to mind a farmer's market like a local farmer's market of different people coming together to 
purvey their own wares and build a community within a localized area. Um, but taking that to uh, the next step where it's completely location independent and anonymous so that you can bring in whatever wares, knowledge, experience you have to a wider group. So it's, it's fascinating. Um, I, I've seen hints of it in different uh, things online, but never, never something exactly like this. And that's why I've been putting so much time into it. Right. It's definitely uh, sucking, sucking us into this rabbit hole. <laughs> it is. I, I, here's what I've observed. I don't understand exactly how it's happening. So I'm more thinking out loud here. It's, it seems to be a filter where not only are you, say, falling bow tight bowl, but most of the, almost all the engagements, the conversations are people sharing experiences, knowledge, value. They're not just, you know, shooting the shit or, or complaining, or of course, crypto Twitter can be pretty toxic as a whole. It doesn't seem to be that crap, if you will. Um, and maybe there is, but I haven't really seen it. It's just people having productive value-added conversations. I'm not sure exactly the mechanics behind how that's happening without centralized you know, censorship or, or leadership. Yeah, it's interesting because I've seen like anonymous communities before, but none that sure, have... Sure. None that have lasted even this long without uh, devolving into quite a quite a, a shit show, to be blunt. Um, yeah, there are dramas on any online community. I've never seen any community just deal with it like, hey, stop that, and then completely ignore the person to continue value-adding instead, which is fascinating. Right, right. Decentralized, almost... Sens maybe censorship isn't the right word, but it's like if you're with your buddies and you're say out camping, you got like five friends and mm. someone's maybe they get political. And then eventually the group's just like, bro, shut up. We don't, we don't, we don't need that negative energy here. We're just trying to have a good time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, um, it's bringing to a large scale, something that to my personal experience has only existed in small groups um, that, it's almost direct democracy, but that that filter is exactly it. Um, also, something I wanted to to pivot to because I've been thinking about it recently. Um, I, I love that everyone has something to share, and something I wanted to mention on the podcast specifically was I also see a lot of jungle animals mentioning love everything that's happening here but i don't know if i know enough to share anything and to that i argue that it doesn't matter how much you know or uh if you are qualified that's the the job of the filter i think our job is to share what we do know because it might mark someone value um so just put something out there and see if it sticks throw some shit in the wall and see what sticks Absolutely. That that line there, I don't know if I have something to share. So that's word for word what Silverback said. And we're going to jump on a call in uh, like an hour or so from now. And it, it does seem like, and I feel almost like I can't keep up sometimes. Like you're, you're talking to people and they got all these different deep knowledge, like Arctic Wolf with 
development, for example, or ox with bodybuilding. And you're like, how am I supposed to keep up with these people? Sometimes I'm like, Hey, step back. You're, you're hanging out with the top 1%. Somehow they got here, they got through the filter and you're with some of the most high caliber motivated, but also conscientious people in the world. And we're all trying to make, we're all trying to make the life a little better one day at a time. Absolutely. There are definitely days where I log on to, to Twitter and look at the jungle and it's not the right word, but almost intimidating looking at the <laughs> vast amount of knowledge that is being directed at the jungle. Um, but it's a net positive, not a net negative. There's nothing to, there's no bad about that at this point, at least. And I hope it stays that way. So I add the, the little bits I can. I don't add anything for computer science or developing because of people like, uh, uh, was it Silver Fox? Arctic, Forgive my, Ar Arctic Fox. Ar Arctic, sorry, Arctic Fox. Arctic Wolf. Sorry, Arctic Wolf. The Russian web developer, yeah. Yes, uh, incredible stuff though. Um, I'm not great with with that memory, unfortunately. But yeah, there's there are people who do it better than me. There are people who do SaaS sales better than me. Actually, there are some extremely uh, advanced people within the, the jungle. So I, I share what I can. But I would also say, don't take all of your knowledge from one source if there are multiple available, because there are there's a treasure trove in in what we're we're a part of right now it is a treasure it's uh it's the golden uh golden potluck at the end of the, end of the irish rainbow <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> where do you kind of see and i don't think anyone knows the answer to this question and if they did i wouldn't believe them but it, it was spitballing a theory on where the jungle might be a year from now yeah, it's interesting because we are very much in the infant stages of the jungle. Um, I think the way I see it, or at least I have it sort of very loosely planned in my mind, is there's a lot of free uh, content out there and a couple of businesses um, uh, growing within the jungle. I imagine the free content is going to continue, and I think it's a, a mainstay of why people are interested in the jungle, but I imagine the monetization is going to improve. Um, as Paul mentioned, it's a decentralized economy or a, a, a town that they have helped build. Um, what I'd expect is not just things like um, bowtied sponges, uh, sponge store, or the uh, degenimals, NFTs, or any of these businesses that for the most part are reasonably centralized in the way they are run, even if some things about them are decentralized. But I like the idea of what Bull is doing with the, um, with the DeFi substack, where it's anonymous people that can come in and build that and they will pay, but are not technically employees. They're not contracted. They have no repercussions if they suddenly stop. Uh, other than no longer getting money. I can, and without getting too in-depth, I can see 
businesses like that popping up where you have a product or a service and people can come and go to make money and the talent will stay if they see a reason to be part of that project. And I see the jungle as being a, a, a ground where people can go in between these different uh, projects. Projects. Yeah. So it's that's a, a top line of where my mind has been around the future of the jungle. Yeah. Have you read the, uh, or familiar with Sovereign Individual, the book? I have it on my reading list. I haven't dived into it yet. All right, take whatever reading list you have and put Sovereign Individual at the top. It will connect so many dots for you and any, any readers, listeners, uh, both what's been going on with the jungle, Bitcoin, and at uh, the macro level as a whole. Uh, Without going down that tangent, uh, sovereign individual they they talk about this transition from the industrial age to information age, and you mentioned projects can go. So they they foresee a world where large employers are are leftover baggage of the industrial era, because in the industrial era you get economies of scale. So that overhead of having all these administrators, or say an individual SDR, you've got to pay their health benefits and their vacation time and all this other stuff versus in the future, it'll be like movies, how a film is put together like a project. You bring in the actors and the producers and the writers. And once that movie is done, the project is over. You disband with no expectation of necessarily continuing to stay employed together. Um, and it does seem with the DeFi Substack that is an example proof of concept. Virtual corporations are really just projects with people paying each other in crypto and sharing value. And if there's no more value, they move on. That is fascinating. And it really does exemplify uh, the quality of opportunity, not of outcome. Yes. Also a, a pattern just in this conversation alone, uh, mentioning sovereign individual Dunning-Kruger effect, talent stack, these are, are patterns and observations you, Dingo, and others are seeing, but they haven't necessarily had a label or some you know, scientific uh, analysis to kind of put it in, a, in one sentence. Like they're, they're, they're seeing that, yes, taking two or three different skills, what you're reasonably good at, combining them creates a unique value proposition, but they haven't had someone like Scott Adams come in and say, no, that's exactly what's happening. Um, there's a formula to it and, and there's a pattern to it. Um, you, me, Dingo, Barb, everyone else are kind of ending up at the same conclusions, even if they have different language to describe the same thing. That is, that is very interesting. It is something that I realized during, during this discussion actually, which is positive. It's a, I think it, it shows a sign that we're onto something bigger than just a community of fans of a blog. Uh, it also, from sort of, and I'm just thinking out loud rather than trying to continue a conversation here now, um, it also seems like it should uh, accelerate the the expansion of the jungle and the the improvement of the people within it exponentially as we can start to uh, 
label some of the thoughts we've been having, teach other people about it if they haven't stumbled across this specific thought yet, and then systemize the way to then improve at that concept. Um, so this is sort of a, a snowball type situation with with things like sovereign, sovereign individual and the Dunning-Kruger effect, maybe not that one, but um, uh, talent stacking, things like that. It's, uh, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. It's, uh, it's food for thought. I, like I, I reference it, but I don't, <laughs> it's a lot to chew on and I'm still chewing on it one bite at a time. Yeah, I have this notebook that I've been writing down the ideas that you've been mentioning here that I keep, and I've been, I've got page after page of ideas for what can I can personally do within the jungle, some making money, some just a, a free value add. And I don't even know where to start. Some of them are more attractive than others. It's more of an open concept about any idea I have that is possible and a value add free or not. Um, it, it's, there is so much possibility um, that I'm not really, I'm not really sure where to go from here, but there's uh, a lot of hope. There is a lot of hope to quote Michael, Michael Saylor, Bitcoin is hope. Bitcoin is hope. Do you see any concerns with a transition? Like, for example, of course, we've seen with El Salvador the last week or so. Uh, some rumblings with the IMF. Well, do you see a, a difficult transition, a smooth transition? What kind of maybe blowback do you see as people try to find that sovereign individual lifestyle, that, that sovereign wealth? decentralization absolutely um i think the main thing and this is probably on everyone's mind at some point within crypto and DeFi, at least is the the relative infancy of that type of uh economy where there are still a lot of rug pulls, a lot of, even if it's not a rug pull, a lot of mistakes from uh, different projects and developers. Um, Mark yesterday. That's the example I was going to bring up. I actually joined <laughs> the Discord. I joined the Discord of Iron Finance to see sort of the internal backlash that's happening. So I was fascinated in the psychology of it. And there's, uh, it's like? a... Sh it was a shit show. There are people still <laughs> saying, <laughs> there are still people on there yelling about how finance, Iron Finance is going to bounce back and figure this out. There are people complaining about a rug pull. There are, rightfully so, unfortunately, people just continually spamming the suicide hotline because of how much money was lost. Right. I think that's our biggest uh, uh, obstacle is there's a lot of pain and heartbreak ahead and it needs to be weathered. Um, I, I think it's a, a cycle that for any new industry has been, um, has been dealt with. Like, uh, I can't think of great examples, but a reasonable example is the data science 
big data analytics industry, there was the Cambridge Analytica scandal where there are some real shady stuff going on for election manipulation through understanding of data that there was a big blowback on the industry. A lot of things were closed off and no longer able to be used. Um, but the industry continued because there is net utility in how everything works. Um, I, I imagine we just need to weather a lot of financial loss for the new people. And even, uh, even veterans are going to lose money to the wrong project at some point. Um, then I think the, the sovereign individual concept is going to take longer than I would, than I personally would like, because the, the concept of a corporation and a employee and solid money and a weekly, monthly paycheck is so ingrained in the way society works for hundreds of years, thousands of years, maybe. I'm not great with history. Um, it's going to take a, like a, an entire cultural paradigm shift to make that a mainstay of society. And I think we wouldn't be here if it wasn't a possible thing, but it needs to be proven. And that's going to be a, a long, arduous road. There's an easy way and there's a, a right way. And... A decentralized future seems to be the right way, but not exactly. Easy. Absolutely, I could ramble on for hours here, uh, Dingo. I, I, I appreciate you jumping on, and of course, would love to have more conversations in the future. We'll, uh, uh, I mean, kind of time and length, uh, call it soon. Any, uh, at least for listeners and uh, from the Substack and YouTube link. Bowtide, Dingo, Substack, subscribe. Uh, actually, was curious. I noticed you have a uh, a paywall as an option. Is is that a plan to kind of keep it on a Substack, a sort of donation option with the paywall, or eventually will you have separate content that's free and separate content that's premium? Uh, the second one. At some point, I will do some premium content. The general. Uh, weekly posts about SaaS sales and business that I have been doing are not going to stop. Uh, I don't think the premium will ever be the main focus of it. Um, and I also imagine this paywall is actually limiting the number of subscribers I'm getting on the free one because a lot of people just see it and click off. But on the page, I plan on going a lot more in-depth, creating... Uh, Products, for example, I personally used, uh, as an SDR, I used a spreadsheet that sort of tracks who I'm now contacting, like a top 10, top 100 list, who I've contacted in the past with a, a reconnect, then a calendar-based system where I can see, send this email, book them at this time, um, and start to project months and sometimes years in the future how I'm going to hit my target. Things like that I'll give away to the the paid substack. And I also plan on releasing sort of a little bit more detail about that uh, public business I'm building on the paid one. But for now, everything is free. There'll be a, a like a month of warning before I even start to do anything paid. 
um, and the free stuff will continue. So there's no reason to to worry about paying. Uh, so to clarify, in the Bowtie Dangle Substack, you will eventually provide updates on that. Uh, are we calling it like a white label SaaS lead generation business? I'm, I'm not sure the right the term here. Yeah, white label SaaS uh, business would probably be the best. I planned on releasing it this weekend, but I, uh, I had a few non-jungle related things that I needed to work through. So it's been delayed by a week. Absolutely. <laughs> Better late than never. Uh, <laughs> it's not like, hey, uh, we're going to do it uh, five years from now if you do budget cuts, uh, as the government can say. Awesome. Yeah, five years from now, when everyone's already financially independent, I'll release a blog on how to become financially independent. Awesome. Uh, before we sign off here, uh, Bowtie Dingle, thanks for jumping on with with Barb uh, for an episode of Mind of a Lion. I hope to have, uh, <clears throat> have you on the show again. And of course, subscribe to Dingo's Substack. Thanks for that, Bob. I appreciate the, the time. Absolutely. Cheers.